Welcome to the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. We're getting ready to have an old-fashioned line-on-line, precept-on-precept study of God's Word to search out those deeper truths and gain a greater understanding of the Bible. We would love for you to join us today as we dig in and learn what it is God would truly have us to know from the letter that He wrote to us. Hello and God bless you. Welcome into the study today. We're very glad to have you back in the book of Hosea, God's salvation. I'm going to be picking it up in chapter 7, verse 13 in just a minute. Now, God is kind of showing his hand here. He's, he's telling us that they're falling into idolatry pretty heavily in Israel. And looking forward uh, from where we are today, this is that time whenever the Antichrist has come in and he's starting to make his move. And if you look around the world today, there's a lot of idolatry, even though it looks real holy and it, and it looks so righteous, but it's not really ever getting around to being what God said to do. It's a bunch of traditions of men that have crept into the church and crept into the body, and the traditions of men cause this word not to mean anything. Because, you, you know, you do a little thing here and have this little ceremony over here, and oh... Oh, talk this way over here and read this prayer here when God never said do any of that. He said, just learn about me. Tell me you love me and learn about me. That's all God wants. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, we just covered it. As we pick it up in verse 13, we see that he's getting kind of irritated with all this. So we ask for clarity and understanding in Jesus' name. Hosea chapter 7, verse 13. Woe unto them, for they have fled from me. Destruction unto them, because they have transgressed against me. Though I have redeemed or ransomed them, yet they have spoken lies against me. So he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross, to spill his blood for the ransom, for the payment of our sins, that we might receive everlasting life. And they're still telling lies against him. This don't necessarily mean that they're just out here saying, oh, well, no, he didn't die on the cross. No, that's not true. Now, I mean, there are some do that. But these lies are also just, just tweaking the scripture just a little bit to fit their narrative, right? To fit their little tradition that they want to have. Verse 14. And they have not cried unto me with their heart. When they howled upon their beds, they assembled themselves for corn and wine, and they rebelled against me. So this, they hadn't cried uh, to me with their heart. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 10 tells you that they're just out there, they're talking a good game, they're showing a good game, but they're really not meaning it. They're just giving him lip service, right? Verse 15, though I have bound and strengthened their arms, yet do they imagine mischief against me. So he's, he's built us up and strengthened us, strengthened the church, gave his life so that we had power over Satan. And they're still going around trying to figure out a way to slip a tradition in here, slip a little idolatry in over here. Let's just kind of, let's just ease this stuff in there before too long. The church ain't the church anymore. Verse 16, they return, but not to the Most High. They are like a deceitful bow. Now, this deceitful bow 
is like you think of a bow and arrow, and it's this bow that, you know, you might pull it back and it might break. The string might snap on it. You might loose it. You, you, might, you might loose that arrow and it just fall in front of you. You can't trust it. You don't know if you're really going to get a clean shot or not. Their princes shall fall by the sword for the rage of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. This word princes in the Hebrew in the Strong's Concordance is 8269. And it's sar, and it means the head person or the steward, the, the head duck. You think about this princess, let's put this on the spiritual side of things. That's your pastors. That's those ones that are set up, those priests that are set up, that are supposed to be doing God's word, that are supposed to be teaching God's word. Not the traditions of man, but straight on, line on line, precept on precept, this word of God. It says, Thou shalt fall by the sword for the rage of their tongue. Well, what's the sword? The sword of the Lord is that two-edged sword that comes from his mouth, right? It cuts both ways. It's the word of God. So why in the world would they fall to the word of God because of the rage of their tongue? It's because they're not teaching the true word. They're teaching their little, they're playing church, basically. They're over here. They've got this little thing set up and, oh, it looks so good. Let's just, let's go ahead and, and you know, chant this thing for a little bit and chant that thing for a little bit. It sounds real good and let's jump around and, and oh man, it looks so holy. But never really get around to opening God's word to see what they, what, what God wants us to know. Chapter 8 and verse 1. Set the trumpet to thy mouth. That means blow the alarm. Get everybody listening. We're watchmen. That's what we're supposed to do is watch. Watch the seasons. and know what's coming so that whenever that time does come, whenever the enemy is at the gate, we can sound that alarm. He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. This is that Antichrist. You know, looking looking future. At this time, it would have been the Assyrian. And he's going to come in and take Israel captive and scatter them across the world. But at this point, where we are today looking forward, this is speaking of that Antichrist that's going to come in and captivate the world. Just like a mighty eagle going to swoop in and just take hold of everything. Verse 2, Israel shall cry unto me, my God, we know thee. That should spark your mind to Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 where Christ said that there will be many come to him and saying, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and we cast out many demons in your name and and we did many great works in your name. And he'll say, depart from me because I never knew you. You see, they were given that lip service. They were saying it was in the name of Jesus. But they misunderstood. They were deceived. They were apostates. They thought that Jesus was standing in front of them when all the while it was Satan in his role as the Antichrist. Verse 3, Israel hath cast off the thing that is good. The enemy shall pursue him. You know, whenever you, whenever you cast God off, there's a whole lot of protection that goes out the window when you do that. God has a hedge of protection, and he says, touch not mine anointed. And whenever folks give God the stiff arm, 
and just shove him off to the side and say, oh, I can handle this. That's a, that's a hard road to hoe to do that by yourself. Verse 4, they have set up kings, but not by me. And they've made princes, and I knew it not. Of their silver and their gold have they made them idols, that they may be cut off. Now these kings and these princes, basically he's saying, they've set up all these priests, but none of them were really in the word. They were false priests. They were these priests that wanted to worship cows instead of worship God, or that wanted to worship this easy thing or that easy thing. You know, that's what I've never understood about everybody that's wanting the rapture out of here. That's the easy way out. God gave us armor in Ephesians chapter 6, and nowhere in that armor is there a jetpack or a parachute. There's not even a backplate. There's a chest plate, the breastplate of righteousness. There's nothing on your back because you're not supposed to turn and run. We're Christians. We're supposed to stand and fight. We're supposed to take ground, not give ground. And so all these folks want the easy way out. It's almost common sense to know, hey, David didn't run. Whenever Goliath come up, God didn't grab him and go, here, let me set you way over here on this mountain and watch this. No, he said, you go out there and handle business. And that's what we're supposed to do. That's why we set the trumpet to our mouth. We've got to tell the world, this is what's going down. This is what God said is going to happen. And if God says it, it's going to come to pass. Verse 5. Thy calf, O Samaria, hath cast thee off. My anger is kindled against them. How long will it be ere they attain to innocency? Basically, how long are they going to be ignorant? You know, how, how long are they going to pretend that they're innocent? And all the while they're whoring around with all these false gods, these little, these little gods, these idols, and this, this fake religion. Verse 6, for Israel was it also, the workmen made it. Therefore, it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. He's not going to tolerate it. For they have sown the wind. This wind in the Hebrew is ruach. They have sown this spirit. And they shall reap the whirlwind. So basically, they're out here playing church, and they're sowing, they're, they're, they're claiming to be in the spirit. Oh, look at this. This is so holy. We're in the spirit. We're doing this and all these great things. And look at our calf over here. And God's saying, that's not my spirit, but I've got some wind I'm going to blow on you. Just wait. It hath no stalk. The bud shall yield no meal. And you could kind of bring this up to date and say that the, the wheat don't have any flour. All right, so it's not producing anything. If so, be it yield. So if it, if it happens to yield, the strangers shall swallow it up. Those strangers being those ones that are just, that have crept in, the outsiders that have crept in uh, to the church. And you can see these strangers creeping in all through the Old Testament, even back to First Chronicles chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 55, where it talks about the Kenites. 
those sons of Cain. And Christ would even call them out in John chapter 8, along about verse 44, where he said, You are of your father the devil, who was the first murderer. That synagogue of Satan that has crept in and is causing mistranslations in the Word of God. As you see, they were scribes in First Chronicles. And whenever you've got someone that is not a believer in God or that is a follower of Satan doing your scribe work, doing your translating, you're kind of messing up. You're playing with fire. Because as the years go on and your translations get more and more messed up, who's going to be able to catch it? Especially whenever you've got that group sitting over there going, oh, no, 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 it's right. No, just trust us. I'll just have faith. God wouldn't let his word get messed up. But if you're ignorant enough to let somebody else do your translating for you, well, then it kind of goes back to that uh, how long will it be ere they attain their innoc- attain to innocency? Innocency? You know, maybe you need to pull your head out of the sand. All right, verse 8. Israel is swallowed up. Now shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein is no pleasure. So they've been captive. They've, they've, they've been taken captive, and there's just nothing good about it. Verse 9, for they are gone up to Assyria, a wild ass alone by himself, Ephraim, hath hired lovers. They've got all these idols out here, and they're just, you know, it's a bad thing about God's people all through the Bible. They're real quick to integrate other forms of religion into their own. They're real quick to grab a golden calf here or jump over in the Asherah over here and do their little grove worship or whittle out these little phallic symbols and worship these things. They're real quick to do that. And real quick to throw down the true word of God in order that they might find the next, the next best thing. Oh, what, what's the, you know, what do they say? The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Maybe just tend to your own lawn and fertilize it, and it'll get green too. Verse 10. Yea, though they have hired among the nations, now will I gather them, and they shall sorrow a little for the burden of the king of princes. So what is this they're talking about that they've hired among the nations? They've just gone out there, and uh, as I said, they, they hired those lovers. They're just jumping in bed with whatever religion that you know they come across that day. Verse 12, uh, verse 11. Because Ephraim hath made many altars to sin, altars shall be unto him to sin. He's done all these things. He's worshipped all these different gods. So God's saying, that's okay. You want to do that? That's fine. You go ahead and do that, and uh, you just wait. There will be recompense. There's going to be a, a time of judgment, and hopefully you're not in one of them bad altars. Verse 12, I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. They didn't want to hear God's law. And a time's coming when Satan's going to be here as the Antichrist, and everybody's going to think he is Christ because he's going to be teaching peace. There's going to be no wars. There's going to be no poverty. 
It's going to be all peace. It's going to look like paradise. You know, in the movies, they put a whole bunch of stuff in there about if you don't get a tattoo in your hand or you don't get a tattoo on your forehead of the mark of the beast, then, you know, you'll be tortured and, and murdered and all this other stuff. If he's trying to convince the world that he's Christ, how is he going to go about doing that? See, these movies are setting folks up for failure because that's what they're going to be looking for. And whenever the true Antichrist shows up and he's saying, what are you going to go to war for? You're going to fight against me? For what? Let's just love each other. Then they're going to think, well, this can't be the Antichrist. And then, you know, before long, he's loading his wagon up and they're fixing to all fly out of here. And, you know, that's the easy way to go. So let's jump on board. And, and all of a sudden, Christ shows up as a thief in the night. And all those folks that have sat on the front row in, in, the, in the pews in the churches, and they've watched all these videos, and they've done all this other stuff that looks so holy, and have worshipped Christ their whole life, worshipped God their whole life, in that instant become apostates. The moment that they think that the Antichrist is the true Christ, they've just become Satan worshipers. That's a bad day. That's a bad place to be, all because, as God said before, my children die for a lack of knowledge. Verse 13, they sacrifice flesh for the sacrifices of mine offerings and eat it. But the Lord uh, accepteth them not. Now will he remember their iniquity and visit their sins, they shall return to Egypt. What is this? They shall return to Egypt. To bondage. And what are they going to be in bondage to? They're going to be in bondage to sin, which is to say death, which is to say the devil, as an antichrist. They're not going to know it. But spiritually, they're going to be bound. Because he's going to be here just feeding them all the, all the, all the lies and all the, oh, it's all good. Just, oh, they don't believe that I'm Christ? Oh, we'll send them over here. Let's talk to them. That's when the elector delivered up. And whenever the elector delivered up and calls to have the Holy Spirit speak through them, that testimony will even change the minds of the naysayers, even those that are embedded in the, the, the most. It'll make them think, oh, wait, you know, he told us that one time. She told us that. They, you know, they did say that we weren't flying out of here, and now this dude's talking about flying out of here. Well. Hold on just a second. Let's think about this. Verse 14. For Israel hath forgotten his maker and buildeth temples, and Judah hath multiplied fenced cities. But I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour the places thereof. They've just been out here. They've been doing all the good, right? They've been multiplying, and they've been progressing and never giving God any credit for it. They've been in bed with all their little calves and all their Asherah and all this stuff. And God said, that's fine. I've given you these blessings. You've put them towards these idols. Sure enough, I'll take those blessings from you. All right. Chapter 9, verse 1. Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy as other people. So don't, don't even think about doing that. For thou hast gone a whoring from thy God. Thou hast loved a reward upon every corn floor. Just steadily out there trying to, basically it's a love fee, right? So 
you say, oh, well, you know, I, I, I love this golden calf. Where, where's my blessing? Oh, I, I love this Asherah over here, these grove, this grove worship over there. Where's my blessing? And instead of worshiping God just for the fact of loving God, then they're going out here and trying to basically get money off of it, get a better, a bigger, better life, right? Just because, you know, and, and that's the whole reason God created us was for his pleasure. You know, it's our duty to please God. He will bless you when you please him because he loves you. But it's not like there's a written rule that says, hey, you know, if you please him, then you're going to get all the money in the world. It, it don't work like that. Verse 2, the floor and the wine press shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail in her. So that floor is the threshing floor where you make the ingredients for the bread, right? And the wine press shall not feed them. That new wine shall fail. That new wine being, being that New Testament, Christ's blood poured out. Why would that fail? Christ don't fail. God don't fail. But they won't turn to it. They won't accept it because they're too busy doing their own thing over here. Verse 3. They shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt. They'll go into bondage. And they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. They're going to be, doing, they're going to be whoring around with all these idolatries, all, all these idols. They shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord, neither shall they be pleasing unto him. Remember what pleases the Lord, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. He don't want your sacrifices, he wants your mercy. And instead of burnt offerings, he wants you to know the knowledge of God, to seek out his knowledge. They're not being pleasing. That's why these wine offerings aren't being given to him, because they don't know about him. Their sacrifices shall be unto them as the bread of mourners, very unclean. All that eat thereof shall be polluted, for their bread, for their soul, shall come into the house of the Lord. Oh, shall not come into the house of the Lord. Verse 5, what will ye do in the solemn day and in the day of the feast of the Lord? For lo, they are gone because of destruction. Egypt shall gather them up. Memphis shall bury them in the pleasant places for their silver. Nettles shall possess them and thorns shall be in their tabernacles. All right, so in this verse, there's a couple of things to kind of break down here. Egypt shall gather them up. Now, this is... Talking about Egypt will, the, in the Hebrew, this means shall rake them out for basically for fertilizer, for manure, or for burning. Not for a burial in their own land, but they're just going to scatter them out over here, right? In, in that bondage, they're going to be scattered. And Memphis shall bury them. Pleasant places for their silver, nettles shall possess them. And thorns shall be in their tabernacles. Thorns being in their tabernacles is symbolic of they're not using their tabernacles. It's getting overgrown. Nobody's taking care of it. They're not going there. Verse 7. The days of visitation are come. The days of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. 
The prophet is a fool, and the spiritual man is mad, for the multitude of thine iniquity and the great hatred. And this kind of alludes back to Ezekiel chapter 13, where he says, Woe unto the prophets that prophesy out of their own hearts, and I have not spoken to them. All these folks that say, Oh, I've got a word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord, and thus saith the Lord, and the Lord never said anything. They're just speaking out of their own, they're just rattling their head, basically. Verse 8, The watchman of Ephraim was with my God, but the prophet is a snare and a fowler in all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. So the watchman's out here doing what's right. He's out here trying to sound the alarm and tell the world, hey, the Antichrist is coming. The Antichrist is coming to deceive. He's coming peacefully and prosperously. He won't, he's not coming in with war, but with peace. And then you've got this foolish prophet going around saying, no, no, it's going to be destruction. We've got to look forward. Oh, it's going to be terrible. Don't believe this. We've got to get ready. We gotta, we, we've got to make sure that everything's packed up right and be really good so we can fly out of here before all this destruction hits. And that's not what the Word of God says. Verse 9, They have deeply corrupted themselves, as in the days of Gibeah. Therefore, he will remember their iniquity, and he will visit their sins. I remember right this Gibeah in Judges, I believe it was chapter 19, there was a, a Levite who married a girl, and they were married a short while, and she decided to go back home. And he went and uh, spent a few days with her family and finally talked her back into coming home with him. And on their way home, they stopped in Gibeah, which was a tribe of, uh, or a city in Benjamin. And the men of Gibeah came out, and wanted to have their way with this Levite. And instead of them having their way with the Levite, they put his wife out, and they, they killed her eventually. She ended up dying that night. And that prophet, I mean, the, the, the Levite took and, and divided her up and sent her to the, the other tribes and said, this is what's going on in Gibeah. This is what's happening in Benjamin right now. They wanted me, they killed my wife, so on and so forth. A lot like Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot. And the tribes of Israel came against Benjamin and killed almost every man out of Benjamin. So much so that the different tribes had to allot a certain amount of kids to be able to restore the population of that tribe. And that's what he's alluding to here is how corrupted they were then. That's how corrupted it's getting now. And even spiritually, it's going to be worse when the Antichrist is here. So bad that people are going to be destroying spirits because of all the false teaching and all the idolatry. And if you look around the world today, there's a bunch of that happening. There's a lot of pollution in the Word of God, that the, the, well, not in the Word of God itself, but in what they say is the Word of God. It's very polluted, and it's not the true Word. And it's sugar-coated so much, it just, again, as in Ezekiel chapter 13, about verse 18, God says, Woe to those who sow pillows over the armholes. Those armholes 
in the Hebrew are knuckles. And so they're putting this false religion, this fluffy, feel-good religion over God's outreached hand to where he cannot grasp his children. He can't grab them to pull them out of that wickedness, to pull them out of the idolatry, because there's a covering there that won't allow it to happen. And it's our job, just as, just as it said in the first verse of chapter 8, put the, put the trumpet to your mouth. Blow all that falseness off of there so that people can see and feel God's true outreached hand and this true word. Verse 10, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness, and I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at her first time, those first fruits. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves unto that shame, and their abominations were according as they loved. This Baal Peor points back to Numbers chapter 25, where the children of Israel got all wrapped up with this Moabitish idol. And the thing about this idol is for their type of worship that went into uh, worshiping this idol, the Israelites were the prostitutes that were used to cause the worship to come to pass. Verse 11. As for Ephraim, their glory shall fly or flee away like a bird from, from the birth and from the womb and from the conception. Though they bring up their children, yet will I bereave them, that, they, that there shall not be a man left. Yea, woe also to them when I depart from them. This also kind of looks back to Deuteronomy, uh, excuse me, Leviticus chapter 26, those curses, where God said, if you continue to do this, I'll walk contrary to you. And if you yet continue to do this, I'll work, walk contrary in anger, in furiousness against you. And that's, you know, you don't ever want to be work, walking contrary to God. You always want to be walking with God. Verse 13, Ephraim, as I saw Tyrus, now Tyrus is very important to understand what that is. Tyrus was, it, it was a little island where basically those Kenites that we discussed, that synagogue of Satan, uh, had a, a stronghold and they did a lot of, uh, work out of there, and but they the big thing is is that they rejoiced at the downfall of Israel. Anytime Israel was going through hard times, they were loving it. They loved that misfortune, obviously because, as Christ said, that they were not of our father Abraham. They were of that one that came out of Cain. Uh, all right, carrying on is planted in a pleasant place, but Ephraim shall bring forth his children. To the murderer. What does this mean? The murderer. That one. The murderer from the beginning. Cain. And who is his father? You can read of it. Paul speaks of it. As Eve being beguiled by the serpent. And in Genesis chapter 3. You can see that Eve. Partook of the fruit of the tree of good and knowledge. Of uh, the, the tree of good the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There we go, my goodness. And that tree being Atash in the Hebrew, that being Satan. And so they're going to carry their children up to the Antichrist, deliver them into death. 
so that maybe they can be converted over into believing upon him like he wants everybody to do. Verse 14, give them, O Lord, what wilt thou give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. He's don't let them, don't let them reproduce any of this. This kind of gives a nod to where Christ would speak of woe to those who are with child and who are given suck in those days. When the Antichrist is here, when Christ returns, he wants a virgin bride. And if his bride is pregnant, that means they've been impregnated by that false doctrine. And if they're given suck, it means they've not only been impregnated, but they have started producing fruit for that false doctrine. Verse 15, all their wickedness is in Gilgal, for there I hated them. For the wickedness of their doings, I will drive them out of mine house, and I will love them no more. All their princes are revolters. Now, this Gilgal is the place where God was rejected, and man, Israel, set up their own king. And this is where, you know, with the impatience and, and disobedience, Saul got his first message of rejection as well. Verse 16, Ephraim is smitten, and their root is dried up, and they shall bear no fruit. Yea, though they bring forth, yet will I slay even the beloved fruit of their womb. So they're just rotten. They're rotten to the core. They don't know God's word. And they're following all this other worldly junk. And he's fed up with it. Verse 17, My God will cast them away because they did not hearken unto him, and they shall be wanderers among the nation. All right, we'll pick it up in chapter 10 in the next study. God bless you. Y'all have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions that you'd like answered on the podcast, you can write to us at Humans Under Grace, P.O. Box 1467, Tatum, Texas, 75691. Or you can email us at questions at humansundergrace.com. Thank you, and God bless you.